This morning we're going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It's titled, David's Instructions to Solomon. When David's time to die drew near, behanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, church family, it is good to be together. Uh, It is really neat. We are so spread out, but that's going to be totally fine. Um, That We're celebrating today. Does it feel like a celebration? Maybe you're like, why do we need to celebrate? It's not even sunny. What's going on? Well, we are celebrating the amazing summer that we've had. Uh, and we're also celebrating the start of a new, a new semester uh, for students. If you're a family, you have young kids that are getting started. I know for our family, we sort of think the beginning of a year is September and it goes to the end of August. And so we're celebrating that. But we're also celebrating the goodness of God and his faithfulness to us, as we'll be talking a little bit about more this morning. Uh, some of you know who I am. My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors of our church family, and it is a joy. Uh, I get to serve as the pastor of Teaching and Vision. So if you're new here, I do see a number of new faces. We want to say welcome. We're really glad that you've joined us today, and hopefully you'll continue to join us uh, throughout the fall. Uh, some of you are aware, I was away this past week. I wasn't with us last Sunday, but I was away for the week up at Joy Bible Camp, which is up in Bancroft. And for the last five years, I've been the teacher there for their youth camp. And uh, it was an amazing opportunity for me to communicate to a number of youth. I was using, actually, some of us will be familiar, back in the winter, I did a series on questions. And we answered some questions like, does God exist? God versus science? Can the Bible be trusted? And then we talked about some sexuality questions. And I actually used that this past week up with a group of youth. And praise God, six youth were baptized uh, at the end of the week on Friday, which was just amazing. We can clap and be excited about that. Absolutely awesome. Well, why don't we take a moment? Uh, You can take a moment to be still. Uh, Some of you are familiar that we do this uh, with our church family. Uh, Some of you are not familiar, but you can close your eyes and just be still. You know, for those of us that are parents who have little kids, we're maybe not going to be able to close our eyes. We're worried about where our kids are going to run off to once we open them. It is totally cool today if your kids are moving around making noise. I mean, we're outside and look at the temptation for them that is around us. So it is totally acceptable to make noise and all those sorts of things today. We'll not be upset at all. But I'm take a moment for those of us that can to quiet ourselves, uh, consider how we're feeling, and then we'll jump into this morning's teaching. So Jesus, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to be outside. We thank you for our church family. These are my brothers and my sisters. You are our Father God, our big brother Jesus. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we are excited to be able to have the opportunity to be together, to be here just outside of the city that we love, that you've sent us, that you've called us to serve. And so God, we do pray this morning in Guelph as it is in heaven. We think about the events of the next week that are going to be going on uh, throughout our city. Think of uh, students returning to our city, uh, an enormous population 
population as far as our city is concerned. We pray for safety on campus, and we do pray as well, God, for all of us that are sending our kids off to school, some for the first time, some returning after uh, a break, then they've been in school for a while. But God, wherever we're at, we pray that, that we would be mindful of your presence with us, that we would trust you, and that we would see you as the faithful one. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. I just want to make one, um, it was missed earlier, but we do have, if you've come today and you typically give your offering through a physical way, not through text to give or any other means, um, the offering basket is going to be under this pavilion here. So you can go there. A couple of housekeeping things. If it just starts like pouring rain, uh, there is a wagon over there and apparently it can put like 50 people on that thing. So you could go there. You could also go under the pavilion. If you have to go to the washroom while you're here, uh, this building behind me, you see there's this blue uh, sea container. And then behind that on the left, there is this really beautiful covered board and batten. That's actually a washroom. There's three options there for you. So you can use the washroom there if you do have to go to the washroom. Sound good? Awesome. Well, all summer long, we've been studying the character of David. And I read a couple of weeks ago that after Jesus, as far as narrative is concerned in the Bible, David is the person that gets the next most amount of time as we learn and we study his story. So after Jesus, David is the next person that we actually get to study and learn about. And the summer we started with talking about how David was anointed. We discovered that he was actually the runt of his family. He was considered to be not as great as his older brothers to the very degree and specifics that he actually wasn't invited to the sacrifice when Samuel came to the home. So David was considered the runt of the family yet that is whom God chose to be the king of Israel. We then looked at David's victory over Goliath. Many of us familiar with that story. Probably one of the most well-known stories about David was his defeat of Goliath. We then looked at how other people viewed David, specifically in their jealousy of David. We looked at the character of Saul one week. Some of us will remember Michael Van Eggman, who spoke about the jealousy of Saul towards David. We then looked at David needing to be on the run. We looked at the fact that there was actually 15 different times David had to move because he was on the run from Saul. We then looked at David dealing with grief, uh, both the loss of his friend, Jonathan and Saul, an enemy, but then also the death of his own sons and what that was like to work through that grief. We then looked at some of the ways that David fell short. We looked at when he took the census, that that was a sin of pride, putting himself in the position of God. And then finally, last week, we looked at another failing of David, which was David and his temptation with Bathsheba, which once again is another very, very familiar story. And today, what I want to do is kind of summarize David's life in some ways and also look at the very end of his life and see, you know, this is all of the amount of time that the Bible gives to the life of David. How does this man's life end? So as we will be, we will be in 1 Kings chapter 2, but I want to start for us in 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 1. So if you do have your Bible, go with me there. The subtitle of this section as we're introduced to 1 Kings is David in his old age. This is what we read, 1 Kings 1, verse 1. Now, King David was old and he was advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Very interesting first verse here in 1 Kings, the very real reality that David is aging. Physically, he can't stay warm. Heat is not staying. And so they introduce to us this fact that David is getting weak. He's getting physically weak. Verse two, therefore his servant said to him, yet let a young woman be sought for my Lord, the King, and let her wait on the King and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my Lord, the King may be warm. 
So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. Now that knew her not is, um, you know, reference to the fact of uh, a relationship that would be beyond a personal support worker. I think what you get what I'm saying. I'm also trying to be understanding that we have children in our midst. But this is the very first we see here. She's a personal support worker to King David. He can't stay warm. She is going to wait on him hand and foot. She is going to help. And the servants believe that this is the best way for their king in his old age to be cared for, is to bring somebody alongside him, to care for him, to be his personal support worker. Now, why I find this all very interesting is that we've seen David at incredible highs. And I think what we could also say is this is another one of his lows. I mean, he's about to die. The, the text isn't trying to hide that. It's not like, you know, David was incredible and, you know, he was still at the top of his game when he died. No, we're being introduced to the very real reality that death is real, that all of us will come to experience it one day. And many times when we get close to death, it's when we then we are then physically weak. And so that isn't being hidden from the text at all, David in his weakness. So obviously David understands that he is about to die and therefore he's got to make some decisions. What am I going to do? Who's going to lead the kingdom after me? And how do I want to leave this kingdom? You know, it's some of us have maybe already created wills. You know, we have thoughts about our own death. Some of us don't like to think about our own death, but this is a text that we're studying to suggest to us, what are the things that we would want to do or pass on to people if we knew that death was close? What is it the way that we would want to leave to our family? And so David does a few things. You can compare the stories in 1 Chronicles and then here in 1 Kings as far as what David does. And one of the things that he does is he prepares his kingdom for his departure. Uh, you can read details of how he uh, assigns and he, he orders the musicians and the priests and all of these different people. He gets his kingdom in order so that when he leaves, everything will be fine. He then deals with the potential hazard of one of his sons, Adonijah, wanting to be the next king, yet he has chosen Solomon to be the next king. So he deals with those details. He then gives this sort of final commission speech to the people of Israel. He makes a final sacrifice and offering. And then in Kings, uh, one of the last things he then does is he talks to his son Solomon. Now, this is a story that we're reading about in 1 Kings, but I want you to personalize it for a moment. If you knew that you were about to die and you were in a situation where you then were speaking to your child or think of somebody that is close to you that you want to carry on maybe a bit of the, the story or the impact that you've wanted to make on the life, what would be your final words to those people or to that person? You know, if you knew the death was close, what would you want to be the final words to the people that you love or to your children? You know, some of us will have that opportunity where maybe we know death is going to be close and so we have that opportunity. Some of us won't. Death might come as a surprise. As much as we all will die, death may come as a surprise. But what are the things that you would want to tell your child? I want you to think about that for a minute. Just pause and think about that. What would be the thing that you would want them to be told? Now, earlier, Alyssa read for us what it is that David said. And he focuses on two things, and we'll go over it. He focuses, one, it's actually the second thing in Kings that he tells us. He, he handles some very practical matters. He actually tells his son Solomon, look out for Joab. 
Some of us will be familiar. A few weeks ago, I talked about the character of Joab and how David and Joab have this interesting relationship that there's a bit of tension and disagreement in their relationship. But here it kind of comes to a climax in which David says to Solomon, look out for Joab. We've had disagreements. You might want to have him killed. I mean, it's a very practical thing that once I'm dead, you're going to want to look out for this guy. So he highlights that, but then he also highlights something else that's really important for us to see and to understand as we come to the end of David's life. And that is 1 Kings 2, verse 1. We'll read it over again. When David's time to, die, time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. Why? So that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." These are David's final words to his son, Solomon. And he references in these final words, a covenant that God had made with David. You can go back into 2 Samuel and look at that, where God covenants himself to David and to David's lineage and says, from your family, there will be a king that will come. And so what David, after all of the things he could talk about, I mean, he could talk about how to handle treason. He could talk about how to handle the temptation of women. Some of us know this, the story of Solomon. I mean, that would have been a good one for Solomon. Like he could have talked to David about how to defeat giants. He could have talked to, to him about all of the military prowess that he had. But instead, he focuses not on himself. He focuses on God and God's faithfulness to him. Rather than focusing on the ups and downs of his own faithfulness, as we've looked at all the summer, David in his final words to his son says, don't look at your own faithfulness, Solomon. Look at the faithfulness of God. This is pretty amazing. You know, we have all of the, the Psalms. We can study what David wrote in the Psalms. We can look at David's life. Yet the focus of his final words to his son are on the faithfulness of God rather than on his own faithfulness. My grandfather, a number of years ago, died of dementia. He was struggling with dementia. And if any of you are familiar with what dementia does, it confuses the person that has it. My grandfather was a well-known brethren preacher. He was part of the brethren assemblies. He was a medical doctor. He then helped uh, start a Bible school. He uh, and then preached on Sundays. He would preach uh, in Bible chapels and brethren churches. There would be Sunday mornings. And then he would also speak at the Sunday night services. And so he was a very well-known preacher within the Brethren Assemblies. He spoke at their annual conferences. He traveled a bit of the world preaching. I'm very fortunate to have this as my lineage. And my grandfather, as he was in the last couple of years of his life, it was very difficult. I remember my, my parents, as a child, I was young, my dad had, and his brothers had to go to my grandfather and say, Dad, we don't think that you should be preaching anymore. I mean, he would stand and he would try to preach, right? And, and the words just weren't coming to him the way that they used to. And so they had to say, Dad, we don't think it's time for you to continue preaching. And that continued to deteriorate in his life as, as his health continued to deteriorate, specifically his mind. To the point where I remember as a kid, you know, trying to have conversations with my grandfather. And it was very difficult and so why I'm giving the introduction is that there was one Christmas that we understood that grandpa wasn't doing well. And so we thought that it would probably be his last Christmas, but we weren't convinced of that. 
It did end up being his last Christmas. And I remember we, would, we actually held our Christmas gatherings of the Naismith family in the basement of this home, um, this place in Toronto that, that has different styles of living for different people, depending on where they're at in their aging journey. And we would stay in this uh, community room in the basement. We were all sitting there in a circle. And you know, my grandfather had been sitting in this chair for quite a while on his own. And finally, we were sort of getting to the point where we were all going to exchange gifts. And all my family came around in this circle. And as we were sitting there, suddenly, you know, out of nowhere, my grandfather starts speaking in a, with a very, very lucid moment. It was one of his last lucid moments. And it was very, it was, it was actually amazing. Like all of our family looks back at this and just says how powerful this was because my grandfather sat there and in, in such like beautiful way, his main line that he said to us was keep on keeping for the Lord, keep on keeping for the Lord. It was his like final words that he could like commission to his family was keep on keeping for the Lord. And as quickly as that lucid moment came, it was gone. And the rest of our family, we were all looking at one another and realizing like that was significant what just happened there because suddenly grandpa just seemed gone again. That was an amazing experience that I was blessed to have with my grandfather. It let me in on the, the motivation of his heart, even in his final days. That is he, if he could commission his family, he wasn't going to look back and say, well, look at the preaching career that I've had, the, the medical, career that I've, medical career that I've had. Look at all of these things. His focus was look at the faithfulness of God and keep on keeping for the Lord because God is faithful. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Matthew 1, verse 1. Sometimes we skip this first, these first genealogy in the Bible and you're like, okay, we can skip it. You can be honest. That's okay. I want to highlight one verse here, though, because it's pretty significant. Matthew 1, verse 1. We read this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Some of you are like, oh, what are you getting at here? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So whose genealogy is it about that we're about to study? Jesus, right? Whose family does he come from? David. Do you remember I pointed out back that God covenants himself to David's family and says, through your lineage, there will be a king on the throne. See, David is holding fast as he's speaking to Solomon to the faithfulness of God. And here in Matthew 1 verse 1, I can't like understate it enough. Boom, God is faithful. He held to this covenant. His promises are true. And then as we see the life of Jesus, we see him live this perfect life that you and I could never live, die the death that you and I should have died, come back to life to become and to be our substitute, to atone on the cross for our sin so that you and I could look to his faithfulness and not try to point out at the end of our lives of look at all of the ways that I was faithful. Because the problem with that is that our lives are also filled with a whole host of unfaithfulness. You know, whether or not you're a Christian, all of us are trying to be faithful to something. Maybe it's a way of life. Maybe it's a workout routine, whatever it is. All of us are trying to be faithful. Yet the reality of our existence as human beings is that we will fall short and fail in the goals that we have for ourselves in being faithful. Yet here in the scriptures, we're then introduced to somebody, Jesus Christ, who is faithful, who is perfect for you and for me. So what this means practically 
is that Jesus is the faithful one. He is then the better David that we've been pointing out all summer long. And what this means for you and for me in our day-to-day lives is that when we're struggling, when we're going through things, when we're feeling like God is far away, we can hold fast to the promise that God is faithful, that he's proven his faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And so we, so we can hold on and understand that he's for us and that he's not against us. So I don't know what each of you are going through in your day-to-day life. Maybe right now you're in an experience of pain and suffering. Maybe right now it seems like God has been distant. You haven't heard from him in a while. You read the scriptures. It's not coming to life. Maybe for you, you're struggling with your work. You're struggling with your kids. You're struggling even in shame and your own identity. And you're wondering, God, where are you? Hear the promise that we have here in the text about Jesus, that he proves God's faithfulness because God is faithful. And hear the commission of David to his son. Don't look at the faithfulness of me. Don't look at the faithfulness of other people void of Christ. Look to God because he will be faithful when nobody else is faithful. You know, today we're going to see someone baptized, and this is so incredibly exciting. This is someone that's saying, I trust that God is faithful. I trust that Jesus was faithful for me on my behalf. And now I want to declare to the world, don't look at me and my faithfulness. Look to God. Look to Jesus. Don't look at me. That's what baptism is saying, and it's what we live into as followers of Jesus. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. He's the faithful one. He's the better king. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity yet again to be out here at Stroms. And we thank you that you are faithful when we are not faithful. We thank you, Jesus, that you lived the perfect life, the faithful life that we could never live. And therefore, you were the perfect substitute for us. So we pray now that as we celebrate you in song and then as we join uh, a sister, as she uh, just before all of us says, hey, I'm following Jesus. I believe that he's faithful. God, that you would encourage our hearts and be reminded that you are faithful no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, that you are for us, that you're not against us and that your word stands. We thank you for the word to Solomon. We thank you for the word and the truth of what would come from Saul and David's li- or Solomon and David's line a true and faithful king. May we hold fast to him today. We love you and we thank you. Amen.